Det här är ett poddradioprogram från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation Studentradion 98,9. Av upphovsrättsliga skäl är musiken förkortad. Utrikespolitik. Det är inga pajaskonst. Trump. Trump. Electoral votes. Michigan. Senate race. Gerrymandering. Recount. Pennsylvania. Trump rally. Face mask. Vote by mail. China virus. <laughs> Dead people voting, the Rust Belt, swing states, Proud Boys, Nevada, Sleepy Joe Biden. Polls were inaccurate. Ohio, will Texas go blue? Battleground, Wisconsin, 100% rigged election, Bellwether State, Mitch McConnell, electoral fraud. Corrupt election, mail-in ballot fraud, radical Democrats, Kamala Harris, Fox News... Fake news media. The American people. Historic election. First VP of color. America first. Historic election. Ohio. And that was basically the past months um, in summary. We've been hearing so much about the US election and we're kind of tired of it. So now we're going to move on in our section on in other news. What's happened around the world during the US elections? And uh, yeah, uh, my name is Melker Hörner. I'll be doing some hosting and talking about natu- um, on uh, the exploitation of natural resources in um, uh, sacred land. And with me in the studio, I have three people. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hello, my name is Amanda Boland and uh, I will talk a bit about what's been going on in Ethiopia for the past few months. Uh, hi, I'm Greta. Um, I will be talking about the culling of mink in Denmark this month. My name is Edwin and I'll be talking about the development in Hong Kong for the last couple of months in terms of the pro-democracy movement. Great, welcome to the show. We are Radio UF at Studentradio 98,9 and we'll be right back. Life is full of rewards, at least that's the name of the song, by El Perro del Mar. And we are Radio UF, and we are kind of tired of American politics right now. So we'll see and what happened in the world during the time, and why are we so focused on the American elections? Uh, as a person that knows about 100 times more things about the state of American politics than Swedish politics, I think I'm part of the problem. Um, but what are your thoughts, just spontaneously? Why are we so obsessed with the giant in the north? Uh, well, I think from a British perspective, we are very, very obsessed with our special relationship with America. Um, I think because we feel quite akin to the US in the sense that we speak the same language. And like I remember even in the 2008 elections, my mom said it was almost like we were electing our president. So there's always this feeling that like, yeah, we're, they're kind of like our cousins across the pond. 
Um, and there's actually a book written by the BBC North America editor, John Sopel, called If Only They Didn't Speak English, which talks about, um, it kind of challenges how related the UK and the US actually are. Um, because, like, for example, the Americans also talk with France about, oh, yeah, you're our oldest relationship. So, like, every country thinks they have some special link to America and every country is desperate to be their best friend. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, it also feels like, at least in Norway, you know, we learned so much about the American Revolution, American history. Um, and it's always such a big focus also in the... 20th century with the Cold War, you know, the US are sort of the heroes of the free world in a sense. And um, I feel like the US has succeeded very well in continuing building up this picture of themselves on the global arena. And I figure that the election is sort of made to be entertaining in many ways. Uh, And that's probably exaggerated by the fact that Trump is a showman. I mean, he got famous of uh, making The Apprentice and he remembers how to get all these headlines and get the media attention. And then you have these constant polls showing who's in the lead. I mean, it's... And then you have, like, can look at every single battleground state. How's it going here? How's it going in this other place? So you have... It's... Yeah, it's simply made to be entertaining, which probably factors in. Yeah, And then again, I mean, America is supremely important. It's arguably the most influential state in the world. And um, what I'm thinking about is that it's it's probably the most important state that there is a mo- most the most democratic input in, at least. Um, that's my uh, view of it. And it kind of feels like it can change, you know, change between the elections that it actually matters for climate and like defense um a policy in Europe that's um, the US is a key player and um, they do play a role and set the stage for politics across the world like we saw with um, the um, kind of right-wing populist um, uh, movement started up after 2016. I would like to say the British started that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true that's true yeah maybe yeah it's probably <laughs> underlying factors as well but uh, it's a signal also. But I think it's interesting to remember that, like, the U.S. has only been a superpower for, like, 100 years because mm-hmm. before that, you know, it was, it, was, it was different powers. And sometimes I do wonder, like, what can we actually learn from the USA? Because you say they're the biggest democracy in the world, but I'm not really convinced they're actually that democratic. And I think, we, like, British people definitely would learn a lot more if we studied more about Sweden than if we studied about America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then just, like, the pure influence because India is a larger democracy, for example, but... Um, Uh, they aren't as involved as the US, at least not yet. And um, I'll I think it's going to be really important. Do you think that we'll just forget about the states now, that Joe Biden is president, that we can go back to brunch, as it were? <laughs> um, what are your thoughts? I figure we Swedes in particular, well, probably as well as the British, we're simply very interested in Americans. And we watch all these TV series and we have sort of this myth or this image in our head of this is American politics. So, And we think it's inherently exciting. So I don't think we'll stop uh, looking. Well, of course, I mean, Joe Biden isn't as interesting as Donald Trump. But there's still that underlying factors that make us interested in American politics. And that's here to stay, I believe. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think, for instance, the EU is trying very hard to sort of uh, mark their position internationally. But 
I think we can for sure say that European politics is not as entertaining um, as Mm. the U.S. politics these days. Will we allow people to sell um, to sell halloumi and call it halloumi in Sweden? Um, That's the (laughs) EU politics right now. Uh, but yeah, I think um, I think that um, I've said this since the beginning. But but if there's one thing Trump has done, it's bring a lot of people into politics, and we'll see if they fall off after Trump has um, gone out of politics. But I think a lot of people have been bit and will now be more political act politically active, and I think that's primarily a good thing. So we'll just have to see. That was Astrid by Alex Jarvi. And you are listening to Strandradio 98.9. We are Radio UF. And we are talking about everything that's been going on in the world while we were staring at the United States. It's been a whole business with the coronavirus down in Denmark right now. Is that right? Yes. So I'll be talking about what's been going on in Denmark while we were all twiddling our thumbs waiting to see how long it would take Pennsylvania to count a few ballots. Uh, Denmark is not only known for its beautiful language, but also for being the world's largest mink producer. (laughs) Um, Bit of Swedish Swedish humour for you there. (laughs) In fact, uh, before this month, Denmark has uh, had three times as many minks as people. (laughs) You may have uh, realised that Danes don't keep the mink as pets, but instead they farm them for their fur. Uh, and this is, of course, like a very contested practice um, that for the sake of transparency, I will say that I am completely against. Um, and as it happens, the UK, Austria and Germany have all uh, banned fur production and Belgium, France and Norway also plan to ban it as well. Uh, but unfortunately, this month we learned that humans had passed coronavirus on to mink um, and then the virus mutated and the mutated strain has now infected 12 humans in Denmark. And so the Danish government's concern is that a mutated form of coronavirus could weaken the effectiveness of a future vaccine. And so they decided to cull all 17 million mink in Denmark, whether they were infected or not. Uh, That's only half the story, but already I would just like to add a few thoughts on this issue, because the mink that were culled obviously were not living in some kind of mink sanctuary. Like they were in cages. 80% of them were going to be killed this year for their fur anyway. Uh, But on a moral level, it's really heartbreaking, in my opinion. Um, For one, Denmark, uh, if it didn't have its fur industry, they wouldn't have had to kill so many animals. Secondly, if the virus mutated in in another animal that wasn't necessarily going straight to slaughter, like badgers, for example, then a cull probably wouldn't have had to happen. And so what I want to question really is how we view an animal's worth in terms of what it can bring to humans. Obviously, I don't want a mutated strain of coronavirus, but it does seem like the virus will mutate eventually anyway. And if you have the stomach for it, honestly, like look up um, the culling of mink in Denmark and you will see in the photos how brutal and heartbreaking it is. Yeah. And like three times, if every Dane, for every Dane, three minks are killed and that it's such an enormous number. So it's hard for me to wrap my head around. Sorry. Exactly. And if we go back, if we go back to the main story, like once the Danish government had given the go ahead to slaughter all these minks, they were actually met with accusations of acting outside the law. And so the government did actually admit that, yes, it didn't have the legal framework for a nationwide order to cull all mink. Uh, But by that point, the damage had already been done. Um, This led to a political crisis with calls for the Danish prime minister to to step down. Already the minister of agriculture has resigned. Um, right-wing parties have also accused the government of political manoeuvring using the pandemic to try to end mink farming in Denmark. And there are further concerns that the mink are being buried too close to rivers, which could cause drinking water contamination. Yeah, I read a headline saying something like the minks are rising dead from the ground or something. So, yeah, it's it's such a huge number that it's 
probably going to cause huge effects. Exactly, and it's not just Denmark. The Spain, Sweden, Italy, the US, they've all, all started uh, culling mink. And this is just one of those stories that was really hard for me to research, honestly. Um, the mink would have died anyway, but the principle of culling millions of animals is something that really made me think. And I thought it was worth bringing up since this is a story that definitely got lost in the drama of the election. Yeah, and just regarding the story, I always think that, okay, so when the coronavirus, uh, we the main theory is that it started in a animal market in Wuhan in China. And for like three months, there was just, oh, oh those funny Chinese state bats. And then some some farmer in Denmark keeps his 17,000 minks and they might create a whole new strain that might not be able to get, that the vaccines might not work. And it's not a sound from that. So I think we should really be more consistent when talking about cruelty against animals around the world. Totally. That was Yoji and the song was Your Man. And we are talking about news that you might have missed during the U.S. election. And I actually, I tried my very best to find some happy news, not about American politics and the election. And yet I ended up with not so happy news that is kind of related to the election in the U.S. <laughs> so I failed, sorry. However, I think that this is an issue that has gone underreported and it's too important to ignore. Right now, uh, sitting the sitting president, who shall not be named in the spirit of this episode, has been moving to sell off resource extraction rights in U.S. wildlife refuge, uh, with the latest one being the Alaskan Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. So oil and, oil and gas firms are now, um, they are able to pick which spots they would like to uh, um, exploit in the future. Uh, this comes after years of moves to expand extraction rights near several national parks and after many contested pipeline projects. To quote the National Parks Conservation Association, oil and gas development in and around parklands can harm fragile ecosystems, fragile wildlife habitat, pollute air and water and ultimately hurt the economies of local communities that rely on the parks. So this is really bad. And it is important to remember that even oil extraction close to the parks or near water sources, as most of these news projects have been, are harmful since they can contaminate groundwater. That has happened before and it will definitely happen again, especially since the gutting and deregulation of environmental pre protection rules following the Trump administration. But this isn't the only place we see this with the pipelines and extractions. Uh, being pushed uh, through. Just this week, construction of new pipelines moving from Canada down through indigenous territory in Minnesota has been approved by the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. And it's important to remember that this will not be resolved the second Trump is out of office. Both in America and just north of the border in Canada, we still have pipelines being built despite envir environmental and local concerns. And this is very much supported by many candidates that are not particularly Trumpian. The Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, said this year that oil development is in the nation's economic interests and this party has spent 3.4 billion US dollars on keeping several controversial oil pipelines alive and going. And yes, this is in the name of the economic good and so is a lot of the mink farming that we talked about earlier. And my heart goes out to the people who cannot get a job outside those fields. And I definitely do not think that we can just teach these people the code and be done with that issue. 
there needs to be a solution because these people should not have to lose their jobs. But still, uh, could we please leave the earth-killing fluids in the dirt where they belong, please? Even if the pipelines avoid poisoning the local water, the oil will still harm the environment, and I really think that we need to figure out some way to move the economies of oil-dependent countries away from killing the planet, if possible, because it could really help, I think. But the happy spin on this is that this is all a very slapdash and hurried um, project. The person in charge of these national lands are often organizations led by the president, And there will be a new one in a couple of months. So these things will hopefully not happen so often after that. And on a happy note, the US Army Corps of Engineers have denied a permit for a massive open pit copper and gold mine in Alaska uh, that would have hurt the area's water resources and well-developed fishing industry. Opposition to this mine actually came via Twitter from Donald Trump Jr., who very much enjoys fishing downstream from the proposed mine. So, you know, broken clocks and all that. And I actually think we should just get these kids of politicians to appreciate national parks in the future. Uh, Maybe that can solve the issue, (laughs) I think. So, yeah, and um, hopefully there will be a change. All right, welcome back to Radio UF at Studentradio 98.9. That was Jimmy Stack and Casey Hill, and the song was Can We?, And uh, we are talking, or we are not talking about politics in the US, so we are going to talk about politics in another country instead. Yes, and that country, sort of, is Hong Kong. Uh, And of course, we all read last year's about all the demonstrations and Hong Kong, they were all over the headlines. But a lot has been going on this year, which I think we missed, not just while uh, covering the American election, but during the whole pandemic as well. Uh, So just to recap, Hong Kong was a former British colony until 1997 when the region was handed back to China under the premise of one country, two system, meaning that Hong Kong would maintain a high rate of independence for 50 years. But uh, that hasn't always gone too well. And so last year, the pro-Beijing leadership of Hong Kong proposed an extradition bill, which would enable the extraction of prisoners to the mainland, which became the spark of a widespread protest movement which I think we all know about and have seen the pictures. Uh, and that protest moment com- came to be about so much more than just the extraction bill, extradition bill. Sorry. Uh, and then came the coronavirus. And as the threat of the virus escalated this spring, the protests dwindled in size for understandable reasons. Uh, laws were created banning groups of more than four, which according to some sources were implemented by the police more strictly against those with an anti-mainland sentiment. And this law really became an opportunity in some ways to crack down on these uh, pro-democracy protesters because they couldn't gather in these uh, huge masses and protest anymore. And in June, Beijing passed a national security law in Hong Kong. It's a quite vague and very broad law, making it illegal to, quote-unquote, incite secession and, quote-unquote, endanger national security. It simply widely extends the power of mainland China in Hong Kong and increases the control over journalists, social media, and teachers. Without going into too many details, you can say that this law was more or less the end of the premise of one country, two systems, and it has been used quite extensively to crack down on pro-democracy activists since then. And this law has also applied to, been applied to lawmakers, meaning that several pro-democracy politicians were disqualified from their positions, were barred from running for office. 
Uh, and as a sign of solidarity, all remaining pro-democracy members of the Legislative Council stepped down on the 12th of November, just a couple of weeks ago. And only pro-Beijing legislators remain. And it's quite interesting how last year we read all about, uh, oh, this extradition bill, it's so terrible. How can they do this? And now they have these sweeping actions and it's just gone under the radar, sort of. And it sort of makes you think how the Chinese government were pretty clever in managing to use the pandemic in two ways. Both like in the fact that the rest of the world were focusing on the pandemic so they could sort of crack down on protesters without getting too much unwanted attention. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, kind of a recurring topic in this show that we talk about how uh, illiberal governments use the pandemic as a tool to gain more political power. We've ha- we have an entire episode on that called Sick Democracies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course they also use the pandemic to you know, stop people from protesting, which makes it much easier to crack down on democracy, which of course begs the question, what is the what stands next for Hong Kong? And... Uh, Unfortunately, it's not looking very bright, but I guess time will tell. So uh, we can only hope for the best, I guess. That's true. We'll be right back. You just heard the song Midnight in Manhattan by the artist Elephant. And uh, we are still talking about things that aren't related to the U.S. here at Stenotradio 98.9, and we are Radio UF. And uh, a recurring character in Radio UF, um, Ethiopian Peace Prize winner and minister. Um, So, do you want to kick off? Yes, exactly. I'm going to talk a bit about Ethiopia. I tried to go... um pretty far away geographically from the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> this time. But um, uh, yes, you all probably know, um, just a year ago, we were all looking at uh, Abiy Ahmed, the um, Ethiopian prime minister, as he was announced uh, the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. People that maybe didn't know that much about the Ethiopia were suddenly, you know, learning so much about him and what he had done to uh, improve the uh, situation in the country. But uh, now, 13 months later, um, well, as we've talked about earlier, an American election and also a global pandemic has hindered um, uh, the new developments in Ethiopia to reach um, the biggest headlines uh, of newspapers in Europe. And um, uh, yeah, Therefore, uh, I thought we would talk a bit about that um, and inform you about something you might not know that much about. But uh, then the question is, what has happened in Ethiopia? Well, uh, sort of how it started was that the federal government decided that all the regional elections, they would be postponed um, and not be held this year due to the corona crisis. However, the ruling party in one of the regions, Tigray, Um, which is the party called Tigray People's Liberation Front, TPLF, they uh, figured that they would um, still go on and hold an election against uh, the restrictions of the federal government. And this led to uh, sort of an intensified uh, situation between uh, the regional and federal government. And um, 
at one point, the TPLF decided to attack a military camp in the region, which um, then led the Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed to react by sending military troops to the Tigray. And since then, it's been very turbulent uh, there. Uh, but I, yeah, I should also mention that the turbulence is not something that has started this year. It has also been um, been there for quite a few years. And actually, um, when Abiy Ahmed took office, many of the politicians from the TPLF, they were arrested and the party was slowly sort of isolated into the Tigray region. So there's been um, what uh, Al Jazeera uh, described very well as a cold war between these two uh, for quite some time in Ethiopia, actually. But it seems like this regional election was what um, sort of started the, a new escalation of the conflict. And this has led to a very huge increase of violence, uh, actually. And um, hundreds of people, they were brutally killed in the town Mai Kadra on the 9th of November. Uh, however, uh, Amnesty International, they um, uh, say that we are actually still not sure who's behind these murders. And it's very difficult to do a proper investigation on it at the moment as uh, the federal government actually shut down the internet in that region after this happened to try to um, diminish the spread of um, information from uh, TPLF. So at least as an outsider, it's been kind of difficult to get proper information. But um, for, uh, organizations such as Amnesty are working to um, sort of, yeah, they are really demanding um, that uh, we'll get to the um, get to the bottom of this um as quickly as possible. And the case has even been in the U, uh, UN Security Council, but uh, they haven't seemed to come up with anything um, concrete that they are going to do about it as they mm. did not choose to um, publish any statement after the meeting. However, other um, sort of uh, parts of the UN has been very worried about you know, all the refugees that are coming to Sudan and the further ex um, escalation of this conflict. So I think uh, we just need to keep following what is happening there as um, this can turn out to be just another humanitarian disaster. And um, there's also been talk of, you know, the development of a, a civil war even. So a country that seemed very peaceful a year ago is now drawn into conflict once again. Yeah, and the Ethiopia is kind of a keystone when it comes to that part of Africa as well. They are developing and they are really expanding their infrastructure, their energy produ production. And it will just be heartbreaking to see another civil war um, and the horrible effects that it could bring. Yeah, definitely. That was About You by Samuel Littlewood. And um, we are your neighborhood non-American politics podcast about international politics. And just talking about oil extraction, in, uh, at least in Canada, it's, uh, it's, it's an ongoing issue that's been um, 
in discussion very for a very long time and especially how the first nation people are treated and uh, it, it's a sad topic if there's one thing we've talked about except like people using the coronavirus to um do illiberal things it's that there is an economic incentive that really messes things up for many people around the world but if we are lucky we might be able to move on from that and um maybe have a little better world if maybe a president that acknowledges climate change when we get a new one or i mean when the us gets a new one didn't we say we weren't going to talk about this got got the mic got the mics we'll be back Welcome back. Once again, it's When in Summer I Forget About the Winter by Yeji. And uh, yeah, we, we kind of relent. Now we're going to talk about US politics. Sorry. We gave uh, up. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, it's bound to happen. Biden administration. There's going to be, there's a lot of hopes from all around the world. And I'm not sure if we have our hopes too high. What do you think? I personally don't think he's that like uh, maybe I'm influenced because uh one of my closest friends is a massive Bernie fan. Uh and so I never thought Biden was that inspiring and when he talks I'm not that excited. But you know, uh I'd I'm still rather he's president. Um it's it's nice that he actually wants to do a national test and trace program. That's great. The fact that he actually recognizes that coronavirus is an actual problem. Awesome. Uh, I, he wants raise minimum wage, which is great. Criminal justice reform, honestly, but I think he's just a classic Democrat. I don't think mm. there's anything particularly interesting about him. I think people are far more interested in Kamala Harris. Mm, yeah, but it feels like he's put, like he's built such a broad campaigns where you have these like far left people like Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, as well as these sort of moderate Republicans backing him. So you can really see how they are already people getting disappointed, which really says how. Maybe like the post-Trump expectations were too high, like because you can't please anybody, even if you think he's doing a good job. Yeah, are you familiar with the term anarcho-Bidenism? No, that's <laughs> that's basically anarcho-communist people that thinks, okay, we'll we'll support Biden right until he's elected, and then hmm. yeah, we're gonna talk, hmm. uh, start talking about what we care about now. And I I think that's the thing as well. There's going to be a massive opposition to him. Um, and I kind of feel that he needs someone to, yeah, uh, motivate them. Because I, I think that was the problem during the late years of Obama, that uh, there was a lot of good things, but then again, there wasn't enough. And then people turned to Trump because they wanted change in another way. Exactly. And I think t- people forget uh, very easily as well. I mean, they're very uh, discontent with Trump now, but then Biden steps in and, uh, you know, they've suddenly forgotten everything Trump has done and have all these, you know, crazy high demands that they just didn't have for Trump because they had sort of given up on um, their president. So that will also be uh, very, in- very interesting to see uh, how that develops. I'm very interested in the electoral fraud also, those claims, because as I mentioned earlier in the break, um, we like I got into a bit of an online debate with some Americans about whether or not the electoral fraud was actually whether that actually happened. And um, I kind of one thing I do wonder is whether or not once all, all of the Supreme Court challenges have been like put down, as it were. 
um, whether or not like the Americans will still accept that Trump, whether they'll accept that Trump lost. Um, I, I think that's going to be a real issue in the in the coming months and years. I think it's going to be a new lost cause myth. It's basically, oh well, they they cheated, and now we can feel vin- uh, feel vindictive about this during the rest of our time in the U.S. politics. And of course, it like the outcome of that will, to a large degree, uh, depend on how Trump acts after all this, because you know he's not going away, and he's still had seventy people, seventy million people vote for him, so he still has a huge support. And maybe he'll come to his senses and realize that, from a democratic perspective, maybe I should concede. But uh, of course, I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> yeah, but one one can always be optimistic. Yeah, I mean, at least this is the least worst scenario, I would say, that mm. we are in right now. Uh, a, Biden, I, I, a Biden presidency will be better than Trump presidency, mm. not only for the American people, but also like, yeah, he, he acknowledges climate change, which is nice. But, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the Rejoin Demo- the Paris Accord, that's always exactly. the thing. Mm. Uh, but the Democrats will have a steep way to go. They, will, they are kind of set up to not perform very well due to their losses in the Senate. We'll see what happens in Georgia. That's going to be mm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are running out of time, and you've been listening to Radio UF at Student Radio 98.9. We have almost not talked about the American elections today, uh, but I think the main point is there's still a lot of things around the world that happens that affects all of us. Uh, my name has been Melker Hörner, and uh, I don't need to say my last You can say... Yeah, you don't have to say your last name. Sorry. Uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening. I've been Greta Scott. Great. And my name is Edwin. Perfect. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye bye. Bye. Det här var en poddradioversion av ett program från Studentradio 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation Studentradio 98,9. Att lyssna fritt är stort, att lyssna rätt är större.